This is the Poetry Foundation's Essential American Poets podcast. Essential American Poets is an online audio poetry collection. The poets in the collection were selected in 2006 by Donald Hall when he was Poet Laureate. Recordings of the poets he selected are available online at poetryfoundation.org and poetryarchive.org. In this edition of the podcast, we'll hear poems by Jory Graham. Jory Graham was born in 1950 in New York City. When she was an infant, her family moved to Europe. Her father worked as the Rome bureau chief for Newsweek, and he'd often travel to cover wars in faraway places. Her mother was a sculptor who would take the young Jory on walks to look at the fountains, domes, and frescoes. Graham was well-educated in Europe. She attended the Casa dei Bambini, Maria Montessori's very first school, and got her baccalaureate at the Lycée Chateaubriand in Rome. In 1967, she went to Paris to study at the Sorbonne. When the students rioted in 68, Graham joined them and got expelled. Graham decided to return to the U.S. and enrolled in NYU's film school. It was there that she discovered poetry. I got lost one day, Graham remembers. I was wandering the corridors at NYU, and then I heard these words float out of a doorway. I have heard the mermaids singing, each to each. I do not think that they will sing to me. It was like something being played in a key my soul recognized. Graham immediately joined the class. It was taught by poet and critic M. L. Rosenthal, who gave Graham her introduction to a life of poetry. Graham went on to earn her master's from the University of Iowa Writers' Workshop and would teach there for many years. As a poet, Graham has stayed true to her origins. The shape and flow of her poetry is influenced by modernists like Eliot, Yeats, and Stevens. The content of her poetry shows the influence of her early years, especially her father's profession. Graham has said that she sees herself as a reporter and her writing as a kind of news. Graham has published over 15 volumes of poetry and has been awarded a MacArthur Fellowship and a Pulitzer Prize in 1996 for The Dream of the Unified Field, Selected Poems. Since 1999, she has held the position of Boylston Professor of Rhetoric and Oratory at Harvard. She is the first woman to be appointed to the position, which dates back to John Quincy Adams. Her job there, and in poetry, is to make sure I'm in life as opposed to merely understanding it. According to the critic Richard Eder, the feeling translates to the page. In reading her poetry, he said, even as the brain struggles, the neck hairs lift. The following poems were recorded in 1995 and 1998 at the Library of Congress. First, I'm going to read a poem that I wrote when I was 26 years old. It refers to two paintings by Gustav Klimt, one of them of a beech forest, and the other one found in his studio, unfinished, uh, where he had died unexpectedly, found, in fact, after robbers broke into the studio and found his body. The words um, Buchenwald mean beech forest in German, although obviously they also refer to the name of a concentration camp. Although what glitters on the trees, row after perfect row, is merely the injustice of the world, the chips on the bark of each beech tree catching the light. The sum of these delays is the beautiful, the human beautiful, 
body of flaws. The dead would give anything, I'm sure, to step again onto the leaf rot, into the avenue of mottled shadows, the speckled, broken skins. The dead, in their sheer, open parenthesis, what they wouldn't give for something to lean on that won't give way. I think I would weep for the moral nature of this world, for right and wrong like pools of shadow and light you can step in and out of crossing this yellow beech forest, this book involved one autumn afternoon late in the 20th century in hollow light, in gaseous light, to receive the light and return it and stand in rows anonymous is a sweet secret even the air wishes it could unlock. See how it pokes at them in little hooks, the blue air, the yellow trees. Why be afraid? They say when Klimt died suddenly, a painting still incomplete was found in his studio, a woman's body open at its point of entry, rendered in graphic, pornographic detail, something like a scream between her legs. Slowly, feathery, he had begun to paint a delicate garment, his trademark, over this mouth of her body, the mouth of her face is genteel, bored, feigning a need for sleep. The fabric defines the surface, the story. So we are drawn to it, its blues and yellows glittering like a stand of beech trees late one afternoon in Germany in fall. It is called Buchenwald. It is 1890. In the finished painting, the argument has something to do with pleasure. This is a little sonnet. Act three, scene two. Look, she said, this is not the distance we wanted to stay at. We wanted to get close, very close. But what is the way in again? And is it too late? She could hear the actions running past, but they are on another track. And in the silence, or whatever it is that follows, there was still the buzzing, motes, spores, after effects and whatnot recalled the morning after. Then the thickness you can't get past called waiting. Then the you, whoever you are, peering down to see if it's done yet. Then just the look on things of being looked at. 
then just the look on things of being seen. The visible world. I dig my hands into the absolute. The surface breaks into shingled, grassed clusters, lifts. If I press, pick in with fingers, pluck, I can unfold the loam. It is tender. It is a tender maneuver, hands making and unmaking promises, diggers, forgetters, a series of successive single instances, frames of reference moving, the speed of light down here up thrown in my hands, bacteria, milky roots, pilgrimages of spores, deranged and rippling mosses. What heat is this in me that would thaw time, making bits of instance overlap, shovel by shovelful, my present a wind blowing through this culture, slogged and clutched firm with decisions, overridings, opportunities taken. If I look carefully there in my hand, if I break it apart without crumbling, husks, mossy beginnings and endings, ruffled airy loam bits, and the greasy silks of clay crushing the pine rot in. Erasure, tell me something and then take it back. Bring this pellucid moment here on this page now as on this patch of soil, my property. Bring it up to the top and out of sequence. Make it dumb again, won't you? What would it take? Leech the humidities out, the things that will insist on making meaning. Parch it. It isn't hard. Just take this shovelful and spread it out, deranged, a vertigo of single clots in full sun, and you can, easy, decivilize it, unhinge it from its plot. Upthrown like this, I think you can eventually abstract it. Do you wish to? Disentangled, it grows very, very clear. Even the mud, the sticky, lemon-colored clay hardens and then yields crumbs. I can't say what it is then, but the golden-headed hallucination, mating, forgetting, speckling, interlocking, will begin to be gone from it. And then its glamorous veil of echoes and muddy nostalgias will be gone. If I touch the slender new rootings, they show me how large I am. Look at these fingers, what a pilot. I touch, I press their slowest electricity. What speed is it at? 
What speed am I at here on my knees as the sun traverses now and just begins to touch my back? What speed where my fingers under the dark oaks are suddenly touched, lit up, so white as they move, the ray for a moment on them alone in the small wood? White hands in the black-green glade, opening the muddy cartoon of the present, taking the tiny roots of the moss apart, hired hands, curiosity's small army, so white in these greens. Make your revolution in the invisible temple. Make your temple in the invisible revolution. I can't see the errands you run, hands gleaming for this instant longer like tinfoil at the bottom here of the tall, whispering oaks. Listen, Bocconi, the futurist, says, a galloping horse has not four legs, it has 20. And at sea, there is no sequence because there is no time. And since at light speed, etc., everything is simultaneous. My hands, serrated with desires, shoved into these excavated fates, mauve, maroons, gutters of flecking golds, my hands are living in myriad manifestations of light. All forms of imitation are to be despised. All subjects previously used must be discarded. At last, we shall rush rapidly past objectiveness. Oh, enslavement, will you take these hands and hold them in for a time longer? Tops of the oaks, do you see my tiny golden hands pushed up to the wrists into the present? Star I can't see in daylight young light and airy star. I put the seed in, the beam moves on. I'll end on this Underneath 13, part of a series titled Underneath. Needed explanation. Because of the mystic nature of the theory and our reliance on collective belief. I could not visualize the end. The tools that paved the way broke. The body, the foundation, the exact copy of the real. Our surfaces were covered. Our surfaces are all covered. Actual hands appear, but then there is writing. In the cave, we were deeply impressed, as in addicted to results. Oh, and dedication, training, the idea of loss of life. In our work, we call this emotion, how a poem enters into the world. There is nothing wrong with the instrument, as here, I would raise my voice, but the human being and the world cannot be equated. 
aside from the question of whether or not we are alone and other approaches to nothingness, the term subject, the term only, also opinion and annihilation, the body's minutest sensation of time. The world, it is true, has not yet been destroyed. Intensification, void, we are amazed. Uselessness is the last form love takes, so liquid till the foregone conclusion. Here we are, the foregone conclusion. So many messages transmitted they will never acquire meaning. Do you remember? My love, my archive. Touch me, here. Give birth to a single idea. Touch where it does not lead to war. Show me, exact spot. Climb the stairs. Lie on the bed. Have faith. Nerves wearing only moonlight. Lie down. Lie still, patrol your cage. Be a phenomenon. At the bottom, below the word. Tension, lick past it. Rip, years. Find the burning matter. Love allows it, I think. Push past the freedom, smoke. Push past intelligence, smoke. Whelm, sprawl, favorite city, God's tiny voices, hand over mouth. Let light arrive. Let the past strike us and go. Drift, undo, if it please the dawn. Lean down, say, hurt, undo. In your mouth, be pleased. Where does it say, where does it say, this is the mother tongue? There is in my mouth a ladder. Climb down, presence of world. Impassable gap. Pass. I am beside myself. You are inside me as history. We exist. Meet me. Thank you. That was Jory Graham, recorded in 1995 and 1998 at the Library of Congress, and used by permission of HarperCollins Publishers. You have been listening to the Essential American Poets podcast, produced by the Poetry Foundation, in collaboration with PoetryArchive.org. To learn more about Jory Graham and other essential American poets, and to hear more poetry, go to poetryfoundation.org.